Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Moon Juice, Amanda Chantel Bacon. Amanda has known she had purpose since she was a child. It just took her some time to really hone in on what exactly that purpose was. She's lived a few different lives. She grew up around fashion, something she felt disillusioned by, and was diagnosed with a chronic illness around the age of five, the repercussions of which she was still feeling well into her 20s. She lived in New Zealand, Italy, Argentina and her native United States, working as a teacher, a writer and a chef. It was while working in the fine dining space that her autoimmune condition was at its worst. So she took some time out to revisit what she knew as a child, that she had purpose. She just needed to find out what it was. Amanda embarked on something of a wellness journey, for lack of a better term. And in 2011, Moon Juice was born, a business that began as a juice bar in Venice, California, before words like raw, organic and cold-pressed were a part of global vernacular, might I add. But it soon became more of an immersive wellness brand, producing and selling supplements, foods and the now iconic dusts that consumers could take home and work into their own routines. Amanda had never, ever considered entering the beauty space with Moon Juice, despite its growing link to the wellness industry. What prompted her to rethink that stance was a beauty editor-approved cult skincare product that had visible benefits for Amanda's skin, but it would have flared up her autoimmune condition with repeated use. The solution, it seemed, was to develop a clean alternative. And in 2018, Moon Juice's skincare line was created. In this conversation, Amanda shares how a 2015 viral story online saw her ridiculed globally and, in turn, her business boom, the value in slipping behind the scenes of your company, and how a Chinese soup served as the inspiration for one of her brand's most popular skin serums. I understand that your mother was the CEO of Betsy Johnson growing up and when you were growing up, obviously not when she was growing up, but given that link between fashion and beauty, I imagine you've got a pretty interesting answer to this one. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? Gosh, you know, like this is such an interesting question because fashion felt very different from what beauty felt like. And now, and I'm gonna explain myself. Please. Um, And I almost think like beauty means something so different to me at this point in my life. And I really think for everyone at this point in time, I think that um, strong, willful, creative women are really reclaiming the word beauty. And when I was growing up in the 80s and the 90s, maybe it began to shift in the 90s at some point in the 90s. But you know what? In the 80s and in the early 90s, beauty kind of had like an ickiness to it for me. 
uh-huh. this like um, oppressive feeling, if you will. That was how I interpreted it um, when I was younger. And so what I witnessed in my mom, in Betsy, in some of her friends um, was a lot of creativity and breaking down barriers and rebellion. I mean, don't get me wrong. My mom had this like crazy process for getting dressed in the morning that is so far from anything I will ever experience in this lifetime. Oh, can I hear this? I love a crazy process. Yeah. I mean, I can remember being a child and just watching her go to the office. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't going anywhere outside of her office with her friends, but she had a drawer full of tights and she always wore tights. And so the tights were not nudes and blacks. It was like lime green, cat's eye green, bright purple, pastel purple, pumpkin orange, fire cone orange. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. So there was the tights and then there was the dress and then there's just like the whole rack of mega high heels that were wild. These were not um, like office high heels, what you'd think of. These were just like really wild, wild stuff. Um, And the costume jewelry and a lot of perfume and a lot of lipstick. And um, there, there was a whole ritual. And I guess one could think of that kind of going into the realm of beauty but it felt very much like fashion. And then, you know, in the editorial world, I can remember fashion editors, stylists, that was one group of people. And then there were the, the beauty editors and they were just like way more tame and civilized and polite and nice looking. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know, you know, and I, I think that growing up, I was really put off with um, the beauty section of women's magazines and even teenage magazines. I just felt really fussy and Mm -hmm. overly cautious. And I just, I was not that person. I think also I was a bit of a tomboy. Right. Always. I I can't even say that like fashion was really my thing. Um, I could appreciate the creativity and and that energy going into it. Um, and so it's so interesting that I'm actually in yeah, beauty. This is where you are. Like what? <laughs> I, I grew up and now I'm in beauty? What? But, you know, I have to say that I think that there's been a huge revolution mm-hmm. in many aspects and beauty has not been untouched. Um, And I think partly there has been an industry shake up and change up, you know, people are not using words like Mm anti-aging boldly anymore. Um, You know, I think there's just been more of like nice healthy dose of some feminism. going on in beauty. And then there's just been this incredible movement in the industry um, to incorporate things like sustainability and wellness 
and mindfulness and inclusivity. Um, and those were all the things that really maybe uh, had me feeling disenfranchised from the word beauty. Sure. Even, even as, as little as 10 years ago, eight years ago. Given that you, you grew up observing that and, you know, felt, you know, a bit of a disconnect, what did you think that you might be when you grew up? I mean, you're a CEO now. Was that something that you'd ever imagined? Never. <laughs> never. Never. I'll tell you, and, and, I've, and I've given it some thought. Okay. You know, especially having my own children now. It's like, did I even think about it? Did I have a plan? Um, <clears throat> and I can tell you that I was extremely driven and I can even drop into my body and I can go back to being a teenager. I can go back to even being a child. Mm -hmm. I can go back to that place and um, I felt driven and I felt like I wanted to do something and I had purpose. Uh, I just didn't know really what it was. And, and this was during a time, you know, when I had friends that were really preparing for university and knew which one they wanted to go to and they were going to be a doctor or an editor or I don't, and I can go back to that time. And if I really hone into it and I play back the tapes, honestly, wanted to be happy oh that's so nice and I, I wanted to be happy and I and it wasn't like I wanted to be happy in sort of like a, a kumbaya yep. hey man <laughs> hey man I just want to like move to California and be happy and relax it was like I'm living in a paradigm that doesn't feel right to me the educational system hasn't done me right I, I feel um misunderstood and confused by it um the the allopathic medical system that i've been traveling in whether it was for physical health or for mental health i don't feel understood seen heard helped i feel quite hopeless about that like i really don't fit into that um and i don't know what my future is in this but I just I took a look around and I just felt like I don't want to participate in any of this it seems really um it didn't seem like it was built for me and you know I, I think when I was leaving that world it was it was the late 90s um in Manhattan which is really experiencing the height of its capitalistic glory. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know how I was going to be happy in that. Um, and so I didn't, I, I chose to not continue um, that organization, that system. And I thought, God, I've, I've got to try something else and success. I think that's when I really defined for success for me would be contentedness. I love that. There's a real strength, I think, in recognizing that a situation isn't for you 
and then leaving it. I feel like it's the easy option is to just kind of go along with it. There'd be so many people in that position that feel out of place but just continue to kind of go with the flow for the ease of it. I think we all do that yeah. on some level, you know. I think that I probably um, in ways am doing that right now. Sure. You know, I can think of things in my life where I go, well, eh, I don't really like that. I don't, I don't really like, like, driving around the suburbs in my car to go get, I, you know. And yeah. I'd love to bust that paradigm. And I can think of ways of doing it. I would love to live in a smaller community mm-hmm. where we got our food in different ways. You know, I think about even... Um, parenting and socializing I don't do much of it I mean I do a lot of parenting I don't do much socializing um, just because of the way our society is set up you know we all work in little boxes and we all eat dinner in our little box and I think it's probably too much for everyone and that's my next paradigm I want to burst one thing at a time, I suppose. Why one thing at a time? <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that you've mentioned the education system because at one point you wanted to be a teacher and move to New Zealand to do so. Is that correct? That is correct, and I and I did so. Um, and I loved New Zealand. Yes. And I and I just want to throw it out there. I love Australia, <laughs> and I have had many dates on my book that have been cancelled for obvious reasons in this last year (laughs) and I'm just so I'm I'm headed out to you guys I can't wait to see you um but yeah I I lived in New Zealand and I taught I taught kindergarten at a charter school in Wellington Mm -hmm. um and I loved it it was an incredible experience and I actually did want to teach just having my own awful experience with education. Um, and I knew it wasn't because I was dumb. I knew it wasn't because I wasn't motivated. It's just, I didn't, I was, I was not fitting into the puzzle and it's painful as a child to not fit into the puzzle. Um, and feel some type of shame or lack around that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that was a mission of mine that I thought I could get, get on with is let's create some other forms of education and some other ways to talk to kids and what better place to start to see if you're up for the challenge than kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. So so you lived in New Zealand, you've also lived in Italy and you've lived in Argentina. At what mm-hmm. point did you decide to go to culinary school? I decided to go to culinary school when I was in the process of getting a hospitality project up and going in Uruguay, in Jose Ignacio. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that did not pan out. The partnership there did not pan out. Um, and what I realized in that process was that I was putting the cart a bit before the horse. Okay. And that in running a restaurant and a bar and a small hotel, 
it would be really nice to understand the fundamentals of actually how a kitchen works. Um, it's very much the way I work now, is I like to understand how each job works and spend some time going through that experience. Um, I think it makes us all better managers. Definitely. I say that, and then at the same time, I would also say, as an entrepreneur, one of the best things you can do is let go and have people join your team with skill sets that you could never possess yourself. So I'm going to say both those things at the same time. They're both true. I understand that because you've got to strike a balance between, you know, understanding what every single piece of the puzzle is there for, but then you also have to take the step back. Otherwise you can't see the picture clearly. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, I took the opportunity, um, to, to really get hands on and learn truly the ins and the outs of the kitchen. And this was for the purpose of running a kitchen or overseeing a restaurant as a larger part of a project. But I, I wound up really falling in love with, with cooking as an art form. Of course, we are here to talk about the beauty skill of moon juice, sorry, but there's so much that came before that that is kind of essential to the overall picture. So tell me, you're working as a chef in the fine dining space. Is it at this point that you discover that you have an autoimmune disease? Yes, it was somewhere in those days and long nights that I finally could wrap my hands around what I was experiencing and give name to it. Um, If I go back and think about it, I think that my, you know, that condition, that flare up really started when I was in high school in New York. And, and I, and what I've I've experienced with autoimmune conditions is that you can have these flare-ups and then you can do things and radically change your lifestyle and it'll come and it'll settle down and you'll feel good and you start doing things that really stress your system out and you can have another big flare-up. So until I could begin to re-look at what I was experiencing in that way, I couldn't understand what was going on. And allopathic doctors couldn't understand what was going on with me either. That's very much the way um, a functional medicine doctor will look at it. It's very much the way, you know, other lineages of medicine will look at it but it's not the way Western practitioners are trained to, to evaluate someone or something. Um, and I think all of that is changing in a big way. And young doctors that are coming into the field now, um, I think are just going to have a much different perspective. You had been diagnosed with chronic bronchial issues as a child. Was there a crossover at all? between what you've just touched on, the things that were causing flare-ups as an adult and the things that you, you know, needed to avoid when you were a child? I think that, I think that, you know, potentially something that really was the catalyst 
for years and years of um, other <clears throat> experiences and treatments and, you know, in some ways health is so simple in other ways, it's quite complex. I'll give mm -hmm. a little, give a little cooking analogy. <laughs> I, I like to think of my health as, you know, it's like a soup. Yeah. We are a soup. And so what you put into that soup in the beginning of it, you got your onions in and some garlic, a little salt, you've got it in the pan. And if you add something crazy in the beginning, you can keep making the soup and adding things on top of it, but you're, you're always going to have that there and it's always going to flavor it. And so kind of think of my health in that way. And I take it all the way back to being a young child and having this chronic um, bronchial issue, which I could think of um, 10 different ways I would go about it now. But back then, it was, let's go get some antibiotics. And if that doesn't work, then we'll just do a stronger round. And if that doesn't work, we'll give you another round next week. And knowing what I know now about the microbiome, I would say, it was all those antibiotics in the beginning that probably started some disharmony, unbalance in the body that just continued to perpetuate. That's rough as a child because you would have been about five then if research serves me and just to be on a cocktail of antibiotics. Yeah, I think that that was, this is... You know, people will ask, why do you think wellness has become so popular? Why is it, why is it taking over? And, you know, I think that there's a couple of generations of people that have really gone through the ringer of doing everything that the doctor and the drug companies recommend that you do. Um, and we're seeing, you know, you just, you look at the data and you mm -hmm. can see that life is being extended, but is vitality and happiness and um, true longevity happening? Or is it just life extension? Um, so I think, I think that's where we're seeing a real renaissance of just, I like to think of wellness at the heart of it. A lot of it is just like very basic, almost grandmother principles. Yeah. Getting back to some of the, the basic ways that humans have, have maintained health and well-being. So you're at this time, you're working as a chef, you are spending a bit of time looking at food as a means of healing, kind of examining your own lifestyle then you take a role at the LA Times magazine. Had you started thinking about Moon Juice at this point? No, I really hadn't. Moon Juice was something that came to me. Um, I was in the, in the midst of opening up a restaurant project and, and I stopped and I actually, I took a few days and I went away 
and I really got quiet within myself and I went to the ocean Mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, I actually, at this point in life, I was really, um, a bit fearful and confused about the future. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing, what I was meant to be doing. If throwing myself into the restaurant industry for years to come was the right answer for me. Um, I was in my 20s then. I really wanted to be a mother and I wanted to have a family. And I didn't know how I would be working in restaurants all night and taking care of my health and having a close relationship with young children. Um, So I took a little time out and I was prepared to actually give myself like a good decent time out in life if that's what it took. But I took a little trip to the ocean and I sat there and I asked for some clarity and some direction and how I could best be of service to the world and what what was wanted from me and um and that was the message i got was to really do what i cared about and at this point i was deep in my healing journey and it was something that i was just doing for myself on the side and my work was happening over here and um, I was working in kitchens and I was working with food and I was food styling and I was doing food journalism. I'm just like, but all things fine dining and, yeah. and food. Um, and then on the side, there was this real departure of, I was seeing allopathic doctors and energy healers and working with TCM doctors and Ayurvedic doctors and really getting into that and experimenting with adaptogens and different diets and meditation and anthroposophic medicine. I was really going deep and, and loving it. And that was the message I got was just go, go put this into the world. So what did moon juice look like initially in your mind when you've, you know, gone and had this kind of quiet time and started thinking about it? It was about a year of really pulling it together, putting the business plan together, um, creating the menu, finding the equipment. You know, it wasn't like opening a juice bar is today. Mm -hmm where there's a path. I mean, I didn't even know where I was going to find the equipment, who made it, you know, the health department didn't know what to do with me. So really in that time, the vision that kept me going and it was quite a journey in that year. You can imagine Mm -hmm. um, paying rent on a place and renovating. And, you know, it was a year because the health department just wouldn't let us open. They were so confused by the concept and the machinery. And yeah, well, it's the first of its kind. They'd be scratching their heads. Yeah. So it was, it was really, um, we had to pave the way and I held the vision, um, when it felt like, gosh, this is just never going to happen of this was going to be a place that people were going to show up to, and this was going to be their happy place. 
and whether that was families in the neighborhood or people like myself that were just on this solo healing journey, this was going to be a beautiful sanctuary for someone to go in and use it as, as a space for themselves every day. Um, and just to put it into perspective, a decade ago, there was no wellness industry. This is what I wanted to ask you about because organic, cold-pressed, these weren't part of, you know, global vernacular at this point. No, and I feel like the wellness industry, you know, at this point, it's a lifestyle and it's an Instagram filter and it's like a whole vernacular and it's a vibe, it's a dress, it's your apartment looks a certain way, it's a succulent, it's a white dream catcher blowing in the wind, like there's a whole thing to it, but health and and healthiness as it was called back then there was not like a whole aesthetic lifestyle and Mm -hmm. so juice and something healthy was going into a place with fluorescent lights and bulk bins and like a really loud juicer that you just and there was nowhere to sit and it smelled super weird and so to have a place with a little garden out front and to have um, a slow experience and to have people there that could really walk you through our offerings and, and sit with you and be with you and, and help guide you. Um, there really wasn't anything like that. So that first location in Venice, California, that was 2011 that you opened. Now, normally when I talk to founders who launched something before a movement of sorts has taken (coughs) off, they'll tell me, oh, you know, it took a little bit of time to build momentum because of course there's a huge education piece that comes with that. But am I right in saying that you had lines out the door more or less on launch? Yes. Wow. It was incredible, but I'll pose it in two ways. On a micro local level, it was fire from day one. Yeah. But my vision with Moon Juice has always been to have more of a global conversation and to be reaching people that maybe aren't thinking about simple, delicious, easy small daily rituals that will make profound shifts in their life. And I've always wanted to reach people that don't have an autoimmune condition or cancer or really some acute situation where they're forced to get into their healing and to reevaluate everything. My goal has always been to reach people that are doing just fine. And and let's get the education in there and let's get some quick tips, some easy habits to keep you in a healthy, happy space so that you don't ever have to take that journey. You know, that's been the end goal to really, to really reach those people. So yes, we were gangbusters from the beginning in Venice, in a small community. Um, We had such incredible support, but it's taken a while to get to you, Gemma, on the phone. 
I've been waiting 10 years. I've been working so hard just to reach you. There you go. And here I am. <laughs> Won't happen overnight, but it will happen. It took 10 years to get to you. Oh, the joys of Zoom, really. Can you can you talk to me about the dusts? Because you mentioned small changes that are, you know, not an inconvenience at all, but they can make a huge change. For those that aren't across the dusts, which surely they are, they've garnered a cult following. Talk me through it. And were consumers as receptive to that as they were just the juice idea on its own? The juice, I think, was an easier concept for most. Understandably so. (laughs) Yes. We all know how to drink juice. Mm. Um, Getting people to adopt a new behavior is always going to be harder. Yeah. Doesn't matter how simple it is, how delicious it is, and how effective it is. That changing changing daily behavior is one of the hardest things you can do. So juice kind of fell right into it. Dust has taken a minute, and there, of course, were early adopters that mm-hmm. got it, felt the benefits, and you know are like obsessive daily users like myself. And we know because they're on subscription and they have been for years and, you know, I meet them, I see them out in the street. I know them. I, you know, I hear from them. We are a community. Um, But yeah, we're, we're getting there years into it. We're getting there and not with, you know, the hardcore wellness early adopters that that are in the community, but just wellness curious people are really coming around to this idea of like, oh, I could put a teaspoon of this thing in my coffee every day that kind of has like an interesting taste to it. Um, I find that it's an enhancement at this point, but like, wow, it's this small daily ritual that has been clinically shown to make big differences in my biology and therefore my life. I think people are really coming around. I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, but I understand what you mean about how difficult it can be to change someone's routine, even in just this tiny way. It is. I mean, I don't know. You could liken it to skincare. You've got your your four steps that you do and you're rocking and rolling with that for years. And then like, ugh, turns out you need to be using a vitamin C powder. And it's like something so simple, just opening up that bottle and like tapping a couple shakes onto your cream or your serum is like, it's hard. It's hard to adopt a new habit. But we are really seeing people after all these years sticking with it. And and I think that's a real testament to the plants and to our sourcing of those plants and to the plants really working. And then we have also created capsules. So anyone that's just like, nice idea, wish I could add one more step to my morning routine, but I'm just not that person. They are a super you person. Yeah. At what point did you start selling physical take-home products in other retailers? Not the beauty, we'll get to that, but rather than just like the blends you were selling 
in the cafe? When did people start having the option of, you know, taking the dust home and adding them to whatever they were doing there? That happened with the opening of our second store Mm -hmm. in Silver Lake. So I bet that was, my son was two. So let's call it probably 2013. I would, if you don't mind, I would love to talk to you about the L.com food diary for those who aren't across it. You penned a food diary for L.com featuring items and ingredients that weren't super common necessarily, certainly inoffensive, but the internet (laughs) really just went for it, garnered a lot of attention. What was that time like and what did that attention do for your brand and your business? Yeah, it was really an interesting experience, which um, at the time seemed novel. Sure. And sadly, at this point, you know, 2021, who hasn't? been canceled or like you know just like yeah made a fool on the internet um so unfortunately this has become all too common oh i could do a whole hour on cancel culture yeah yeah but you know i guess i didn't get canceled in that i was i was ridiculed and at the same time we had never had more traffic on our site. Mm-hmm. Our sales were never higher. And we never came back from that moment. We just kept going and going and going. And here we are. So um, I got a few things from that experience. One was a real groundedness into my own being mm-hmm. and my own mission. And that's actually, that's really served me in the years to come. Um, I, I, it certainly went through the fire with that experience. And if there was any part of me that didn't want to be on this path, didn't want the pressure, couldn't take the heat, didn't want to be made fun of, felt unsure about what I was doing anyway, then that would have been the moment for me to just sort of like curl up into my shell and want to make it all go away and stop. And it would have been the right time to exit. (laughs) Um, Surprisingly, it didn't have that effect. And I say surprisingly because I'm, I'm actually a really sensitive introverted person and I know that when someone is out there in media and speaking on behalf of their company you don't assume that they're introverted Mm. but I think actually a lot of us are Um, so I I really didn't know how I was going to handle it Um, and it was all right turned out to be all right And if anything, I found the same experience with birth, you know, we can all find those touchstones in your life where you go, well, that was uncomfortable. 
and you made it through that day. So today shouldn't be too bad. You know, <laughs> I use it as one of those moments. And I also, I took the experience, I took some feedback in it, which was, oh, this is not resonating with everyone. The way that we're delivering the message, um, my, my being, my personality, my food choices, mm, this is triggering for some people. For many people, actually, not just some people. <clears throat> and so, you know, it didn't change my mission, mm -hmm. but it certainly um, alerted me to some ways that, you know, if there's any way I could, I could take it down from this like lofty, precious place and actually have it feel more accessible and comfortable and normal because this is information for everybody and and really the reason that I'm here and the reason that I get up every day is to to bring this knowledge to as many people as possible and, and actually to invite people in and make them feel comfortable and and I wasn't I wasn't succeeding at that and I don't think you can always make everybody comfortable no but I I would like to take some cues and and speak to people in a way that felt more comfortable. And, you know, it also meant for me um, having the brand really be able to speak for itself. And I think at that point I had really um, been the shepherd and there were a lot of personal pieces about me and home tours and my life and what I eat for breakfast. And it was, it was an early ping of, Hey, you are going to be triggering to some people. You're not for everyone. And so the people that want to hear from you, let them go hear from you. And then there are going to be people and let them experience the brand without me. You know, that the brand is strong. This knowledge, this education, these plants, like they're strong. They don't need me always. I can be behind the scenes. So yeah, hell, I think it helped evolve things a bit. You've said yourself that launching topical beauty was just not on your radar as a as a child or as a no business way. owner. Then mid-30s you realized your existing skincare wasn't quite cutting it anymore it's one thing though to think okay I need to alter my skincare routine but it is another thing entirely to say oh I'll make something myself I'll launch another <laughs> product skew can you talk me through that time and how did the process of developing topical skincare differ from what you'd created for moon juice up to that point I was quite skeptical about skincare in general. Mm -hmm. And I just, I wanted to hear from beauty editors. I wanted to hear from models. I wanted to hear from people that were just like obsessive about skin and skincare and the industry in ways that I will never be. And, um, you know, the main thing was, hey, is there one product out there to turn me into a believer? 
and everyone said p50 yeah <laughs> of course if you mention <laughs> oh i spoke to a beauty editor they're going to recommend p50 yes and that that was that was the whole that was the make make me a believer i don't care if it's clean or it's not clean just make me make me a believer um and so i got said p50 i got it in its strongest form that is you know illegal in in the eu and i turned into a believer so that was step one <clears throat> was wow there is stuff you can do at home as a daily ritual that will change your skin that was a great moment in life. I was so happy to be a believer. Um, and what I noticed was that my pores shrunk very quickly. And I noticed that just stuff that sat in my pores, we can't quite call it a, I guess it's a clogged pore, not quite. I don't know, it just been there since I was a teenager. That was whisked away. And there was some uh, texture change that occurred. Now all of this happened very, very quickly. And, um, and then I was sitting with, well, now I'm a believer and this product works and I absolutely can't use it yep. because <laughs> what a terrifying <laughs> realization. Yes. It was awful because I've put an autoimmune condition into remission and I know quite well the things, you know, I've got adaptive energy in the body. Mm-hmm. And the things that really wear away are not getting proper sleep, um, eating an abundance of food that is going to be hard for my body to tolerate, environmental toxins. So, you know, some of it I can't control. It's fumes in the air, blah, blah, blah. Cleaning supplies, I can control that. And then things like skincare, you know, and unfortunately that ticks off quite a bit of, of points in my adaptive energy. And I, and I know that things like mascara and a toner and a shampoo, using those things daily, they, they really will throw my body out of whack. So <clears throat> loved the product. It wasn't worth going back into an autoimmune state for it, um, but I couldn't give it up. And so I looked for some non-toxic version and I, I really couldn't find anything that worked. And so that was the beginning. That was the beginning of topicals. It was really, it was just going to be that one. It's going to be that one skew of selfishly. I need my pores to look the way that they did. <laughs> Once you've experienced what your <laughs> yes. skin can look like, how are you going to give that up? No, there's no going back. Um, so it took about a year of formulating and I worked with uh, one of the top chemists in the industry and he is known for clinical formulas. He's not known for clean formulas. And so he was really there to make sure that everything was stable, everything was worked and I was there to protect me. And we got there, we got there. Yeah. And I'll tell you, we got there on my wedding night. Oh so my the, <laughs> yeah. So I actually was texting with someone 
literally on my wedding night. And I had a sample. It was our last and final sample that was going to go into stability. And it was my wedding night. And I had to put that lab sample on my face on my wedding night and report back that like, yes, throw it into stability. And then I went on my honeymoon. A milestone. And how nice <laughs> to go on your honeymoon with beautiful skin. Yeah. <laughs> really. So that's how I got started. And I think anyone listening to this has had that experience in their life where you're not really a believer. And then you're noticing some things and you're like, God, please turn me into a believer. I need help. And then you have that one product that gets you across the line. And you're like, okay, let's do this. And you start off with one product. And, you know, in my case, it's turned into five, five that are regularly in my cycle. And I feel good there. Maybe I could handle, maybe I could handle a six somewhere in my future. <laughs> I know that feeling. And you're like, okay, this is, this is the routine. This is good. And then you go, hmm, actually, actually, I might have a little bit of room in there. I've got time up my sleeve. So you launched with that exfoliating acid potion. We actually wound up, well, it's it interesting. We were mm. just, I was just setting out to make acid potion. Yeah. That's all I wanted. This was just going to be the outlier. And um, I had had an experience in uh, China, Mm -hmm. being stuck in an airport for a long time. And um, there was this beauty soup that everybody was getting into. Yeah. It's like beauty, beauty soup. It was translated just as beauty soup. And it was a a sweet congee mm-hmm. but it was made with silver eared mushrooms water and sugar and this was like you know some ritual where you're drink drinking this throughout the day and it was described to me as being like a pork bone broth okay because that's also Um, you know, just walking around Japan, it's actually genius. I was like walking and there was this health restaurant and big neon sign that said beauty food soup, Mm -hmm. pork, like beauty food, pork soup. And I was like, wow, gosh, we don't really think of pork soup as being beauty food, but I see where you're going with this. Um, So this was the vegan version and taken just as seriously And I thought, gosh, this is so genius. I'd love to incorporate this into my daily routine. And so I got some and I brought it home and I was like, where's the part where I'm going to start brewing up the the beauty soup and like putting it in my thermos and sipping it at work. And I was like, I'm just not, I'm not doing that. I'm not soaking the mushrooms and boiling them down. And so I happened to be talking to this chemist that I was working with about this thing and he had heard of it and he had heard of it in an edible version powdered uh-huh. and i was like oh my goodness please send some my way and so we checked out the source and was it clean and was it potent and ticked all the boxes and it arrived and it gave it was it was it was instant 
it was this instant gelatinous kind of like vegan bone broth, if you will. And I use tocotrienols, which is another, it's a, it's a, it's another incredible beauty food. It's derived from, it's the oil in rice brand, which is a bioavailable version of vitamin E. And so that was something that I regularly blended into my morning tonic for my skin. And I started adding the silver-eared mushrooms and I had the tocos and the silver-eared mushrooms. And I called my chemist and said, what do you think of ingesting hyaluronic acid? And he said, I have some very compelling clinicals on it, looking at the synergy of using a topical hyaluronic serum and also ingesting it. I thought, great, send me some. And so I just mixed up at home what is now Collagen Protect, but it was those three ingredients and it was genius because it actually was really creamy and I could blend it into coffee or a smoothie or a tonic and it kind of just took the place of a nut milk as well. And I loved it. And then I started talking to my chemist and I was like, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could just make this a serum? You know, would we have to add a bunch of fillers and binders and crap? Or could this be a really clean, pure hyaluronic serum? So you've got the hyaluronic um, and then you've got the silver-eared mushroom, which they, they actually have the same step of being hydrophilic molecules that pull water to the cell, but they work at different lipid layers within the skin. So they actually complement one another. Um, And that became plump jelly. Plump jelly is actually collagen protect, which is your ingestible vegan collagen powder. Um, Plump jelly is the serum and they they are the same product. Yeah, I have to thank for this. (laughs) Do you use it? Absolutely. So exfoliating acid potion and the plump jelly. That's that's what you're looking at right now. Awesome. Can I give you a little tip on using the plump jelly? So my favorite way to use the plump jelly in the morning is I do like a water mask with it. Mm -hmm. You can do this anytime you're feeling dehydrated, but. The secret to plump jelly is actually putting it on a wet face okay, or a misted face. And do you use a vitamin C serum? Yes, I do. Okay. So here's what you do. My thing is pigment. So see all the time. Yeah. And that, so that is amazing. And I have something else. I'll actually send you something else. It's a, it's an ingestible. It's the super beauty that works internally on pigment. Amazing. It's a yeah, it's a glutathione formula, so yeah. it'll really go in and work on the pigment from the inside while your vitamin C serum is working on the outside. Wow. Yeah. So I'll send that to you, but yeah, you cleanse in the morning, leave your face wet, don't even pat dry it, and then you do four to five plumps mm-hmm. of the the pumps of the plump jelly and then you just tap your vitamin c serum into it and you're going to put it all over your face and neck and it's going to feel silly at first like what am i going to do with this wet sloppy face um but really in about 45 to 60 seconds your face completely drinks it up i never feel silly with beauty at this point (laughs) (laughs) i've tried all of the things so moon juice specifically the skincare products is stocked right across the globe now in stores and online 
Yes. With such growth on a scale like that, it can be very easy to be, I guess, swayed in different directions and slowly move away from your original ethos. That obviously hasn't happened with Moon Juice. It's been a decade and it hasn't happened, but you do see it with so many brands that'll go, ooh, this is a fun little trend over here that's so far away from the brand's DNA, but Mm -hmm. I might just dip the toe in. How have you managed to stay so true to the Moon Juice ethos, you know, as the brand launches more SKUs and as the company grows? I'm laser focused on, I only want to make something that I, I actually need. And the qualifiers for that is that somebody isn't doing a good job of it out there or it just isn't being done. So, you know, there's like the CBD train. Let's take that, yeah. for example. Then everybody's like, oh, CBD is so hot. Don't you want to do CBD? And it's like, no, I don't want to do CBD because I use Charlotte's Web and they're doing a perfect job. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would I do it? Just as like a logical, not even from a business perspective, but if somebody is doing a good job out there in the world, just let them do a good job and support them. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, that's the only time I make something. And I'm actually always trying to talk myself away from making that. You know, it's like, I'm such a fan of fewer better. Yeah. And just, just do a really good job. Just stay on top of your sourcing. Um, there's so many environmental factors working with all of these natural and wild crafted plants. Like there's enough work at the table. Let's just stay in service to doing a really good job. And the only time we make something is it's just, it's not out there. And I, I personally need it. <laughs> Have you noticed any differences in the ways that women and men also from different countries and regions approach beauty? Like are there some that are more receptive to this clean sort of wellness movement? So I think that actually Americans are the hardest to deal with. Really? On so many levels. (laughs) (laughs) We're a tough, we're an odd tough bunch sure not at our finest hour um but you know i think actually americans are the hardest to um there's a real instant gratification in our culture and it's like coffee tequila botox cash you know, it's like the very swipe, swipe right, swipe yep. left, whatever, whichever, whichever way you swipe, <laughs> wherever they're swiping. Um, that, you know, things like small daily habits lead to profound shifts over a lifetime. And taking that into mental health the way that you age, the way that you feel, I think that it's hard for American culture, which is so fast. Um, So I find that people living in Asia are more, well, I would say, you know, whether it's Asia or 
parts of Central or South America or even the EU. Yeah. It's cultures where you are still connected to your grandmother and some of her wisdom. And that really has been carried in through the matriarch of your family. Those are gonna be people that really understand daily use of a serum, daily use of a supplement and not question it and not question if it's really doing something and if it's worth it. It's been a decade now since you launched Moon Juice and about three-ish years since you launched Topical. Over the last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry specifically? Major cleanup. Yeah. Major cleanup to the whole industry. You know, I think that uh, clean beauty started off as a bit of a niche and then it was a bit of a trend and then it was something, oh, maybe we should pay a bit more attention. Looks like there are people that actually kind of care about this. Oh, maybe we should invest some money to now it is becoming across the board. You're seeing... Um, large corporations really put an emphasis on cleaner alternatives and sustainability. What changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? Hopefully more of what you've just touched on. I think we, yeah, I think we can continue to see um, cleaner, cleaner ingredients, more sustainable packaging and Brands really speaking out for what they believe in. You know, I think the the days of just being a vanilla, let's not upset anybody with our views. I think those days are over and um, founders matter. Company culture matters. And you're not gonna be for everyone but be outspoken about what what's authentic and true to you and get behind it. My final question, what is next for Moon Juice? Oh, so much. So much. I feel like I really, you know, um, I feel like we're just getting started, to be honest. Ten years in, it's like we're just about to round the corner. Mm-hmm. Um in, in some big ways. Um, and so I'm personally looking forward to having a much larger conversation about the same things. I'm, I'm still talking about the same things that I've been talking about for 10 years. Um, I'm always curious and there's always new technology and new science and new studies that come out or, um, traditional ingredients and traditional usages that I, I get to discover for the first time. So all, all of that is still there, but we are about to really take off with a much larger conversation. And that means being able to come to Australia and being able to meet people in person and, um, and really activate our community globally 
That's what I'm looking forward to, and we'll see much more of. That was Amanda Chantel Bacon, the founder and CEO of Moonjuice, which you can find on Instagram at Moonjuice. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.